This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to Rex Factor! This time, the Battle of the Saxons, live! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello, hello, and uh, welcome to the penultimate of our uh, live shows from 2018 in yeah. November when we were up in Manchester. I enjoyed this one. It's great fun. This was the Battle of the Saxons, Alfred the Great yeah. versus his grandson Athelstan. Worked really well. This one, I thought. Yeah, this was, and funnily, this was the one that we got was last in the ones that we actually chose to do. Yeah. We worried that maybe if you weren't a Rex fan and coming, it might be a little bit too. Esoteric or something. Yeah, you wouldn't know them quite as well. Would it be mm. a bit too similar to Saxons? But mm. actually, it was made for a really good yeah. one because it's a good debating point. The two great Saxon kings, which yeah. is the, yeah, the yeah. greatest. Yeah, because I had a particular axe to grind here mm. um, with um, the, the Alfred the Sufficient. Mm-hmm. I can't actually recall who won. Well, I guess you'll have to uh, have to listen. It was uh, it was a well fought contest. Yeah, I'll say that much. Um, and our man made another appearance, I presume. Your man. Did he? Dunstan. Oh, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good um, of you to bring him up. <laughs> thanks. Um, and we and while we're on the subject, what a lovely bed and breakfast we had. We really did, yeah. I mean, actually, there was no breakfast. No, it was a B and B. Air B and B. Why do they call it Air and B and B if there's no second B? That's true. It's Air B. Air B. That would have worked just as well. Air B B Y O. B. B. <laughs> Air bed and bring your own booze. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, so if anyone from the um, Airbnb is listening, you have that one free. Uh, yes, so uh, this is a great one. This is at Gulliver's mm. uh, in Manchester. We were up on stage. Yep. Uh, that's where it leads, but this felt like the most sort of stagey stage. stage yeah. Oh, London was pretty good, but it wasn't quite as high, was it? Mm. Yeah. And I was struggling with my hip at this one, so actually getting up on and off the stage was Yeah. Good. Well, I thought you were going to have trouble in Leeds as well. Actually, Leeds, I, you had to jump off pretty much. So that was yeah, good. I thought I was going to have to sort of push you, help you up. Put me on. I think Becca oh. had to help me off, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, uh, you were right by the end. It was, it, it was, it was quite difficult for you, because you'd... Um, it was sitting still for two hours, kind of, was... Every day, what and then... actually do it. But also then, there was a good amount of driving every single day yeah. um and you're a tennis player basically suffering from the andy murray issue well indeed yeah. <laughs> uh very similar you right now yeah. yeah yeah good don't worry rex fans he's okay to make more podcasts <laughs> so uh well we yeah were so here, here is uh the battle of the saxons alfred the great against athelstan mad for it You're in Gulliver's, Manchester. The time is 7pm. Give or take a number of minutes. 
You just checked that, didn't you? It's Rex Factor, live, with your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Just get this, that's better. Sorry, that took Hello. us quite a while, didn't it, actually, to get to the, oh, get to the front. Longer than expected. Uh, and also, you've got a dodgy hip. Yes, so I'm that's slightly limping. Oh dear, should have checked this beforehand, sorry, there we are. Right, no, that's not going to do. <laughs> Hang on, try this again. Yes, uh, this, is our fifth, cover, uh, this is our fifth one, so as you can see, we're a pretty slick unit now that we know there exactly we go. what there we're we doing. Perfect. You're a little... Um, oh, I clash. Clash a bit. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, cover your eyes. It's not, it's not that kind of show. There we go. Oh, that's no good. Okay, never mind. This is fine. These are available. <laughs> Not a giant advert, though. You know, these are available. Previously, Ali's done that as a kind of uh, reveal for everybody, but unfortunately, I'd already realised I clashed and changed, so... Uh, yeah. Yeah, you just looked... So who are we today? What's going on? Well, so, if you've never uh, listened to us before, we are Rex Factor. I'm Graham, and this is Ali. Hello. And what we do in our podcast is we review all the monarchs of uh, initially England and then Scotland. We go through their life and reign, and then we review them by a number of different factors. And at the end, we decide which one of them has a certain something that we call the Rex Factor. But not today. Not today. Today, we are doing a battle between two of the monarchs that we have previously covered in our series. And in fact, we're doing two of the very first monarchs that we ever reviewed, Alfred the Great and Athelstan. Right. And Ali, what are we calling this? Oh, uh, Battle of the Saxons. Battle of the Saxons. Brilliant. Now, this is a bit unusual for us because usually it's just me and Graham in his room, bedroom, and... uh, just a computer, and we can't really... <laughs> we have things to do. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's going to get used a lot today, I think. That's our scandal bell. This is the scandal bell, in fact. Yeah. Um, uh, but we're not going to decide tonight. It's up to you guys. So that's why you have these uh, cards in front of you. You might have worked out the system. Well, it's quite a complicated system, but we'll explain it at the end. Mm-hmm. It all went very wrong when we did uh, the Battle of the Favourites, and my favourite, Henry VIII, and... Ali's favourite, Edward the First, and I think people got really <laughs> on the colour system because otherwise, I'll take what they were doing with those error. votes. I'm happy with the win either way, but it was it was that was pretty resounding. Spoiler alert! Well, indeed, yes. So as I said, tonight we're going to be doing Alfred the Great and Athelstan. Um, the reason we wanted to do this is that Alfred is the only monarch in English history known as the Great. But uh, for many people who've listened to the podcast, they might argue that actually Athelstan should be considered at least as great, if not greater than Alfred, and he maybe deserves more of the credit for creating the nation of England. So what we're going to ask you tonight is which one of these two really deserves to be known as the great, Alfred or Athelstan? And then once you've decided, we're going to do uh, some Q&A so you can ask us anything that you want. But if you're embarrassed to ask us, uh, in public, please do hang around. We're selling T-shirts, but we're going to be down in the bar afterwards and come and say hello because it's really nice to finally meet some Rex Factor fans rather than just talking at your computer and you. Yeah. you know. <laughs> well, it's nice to talk to. Well, it's lovely to talk to you always, Graham. But you know, it's not these guys, these guys are interesting. I've known you for years. <laughs> Well, let's hear some more from me then, shall we? Good. Perfect timing. A quick overview of the two monarchs we're going to be doing today. Alfred the Great was born in the year 849 and became king in 871 when he was 22 years old. 
which Ali recently decided is the optimum age. A sweet spot. For the monarchs. No, I th- we thought it was 21. I don't know why, but it was sort of like you've got enough uh, wherewithal to not uh, have a minority, uh, and then it sets you up for a great big longevity. Indeed. Um, we don't know exactly what he looked like. There are no contemporary portraits or photographs, obviously, of Alfred mm-hmm. the Great. His biographer, a chap called Asser, describes him as being more comely in appearance than his brothers and more pleasing in manner, speech and behaviour. Which would be more illuminating if we knew what his brothers looked or sounded like. Yeah, <laughs> some favourite reference. And this is the problem I have with the Saxons. That's the sort of thing that they're really keen on. Mm. You know, just being really nice and really good looking rather than, you know... He, give us some scandal. Come on. You want that scandal, don't you? Yeah. Well, he comes across in Asser as being um, quite sensitive and highly strong and a rather pious man, mm. which isn't quite up your Straza. up your street. Um, but he was still very determined, and he wouldn't have survived if he was a weak king. So he was a warrior king. Yeah. But he also possibly suffers from some health issues, perhaps Crohn's disease or some kind oh. of kidney complaint. Unusually for the time, Alfred is also a philosopher king. He actually translates great works of Latin into English and he does his own notes and introductions. So we actually get a sense of what he thought about kinging, about justice, about all of this sort of thing. So we do get a bit of an insight into his personality. Which is pretty rare at this time, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's why he's the great well, maybe. Let's look at Athelstan. He was born in the year 893, and he is the grandson of Alfred the Great. Uh, he became king in the year 924 when he was 32 years old, which, Too old. despite being younger than we now are, you've decided is basically... Yeah, that's true. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to be king. These guys should have thought of that. If it was handed to you now, you'd say, no, sorry, I'm, yeah. I'm past it. <laughs> yeah. Well, probably would, it. Um, in terms of his appearance, he's described by uh, William of Malmesbury, um, which is based on looking at his 150-year-old corpse, as having had fair hair intertwined with gold and being tall and handsome. And I suppose if you look handsome after 150 years of dying, then something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You imagine. Yeah, wow. Um, again, we don't have a surviving biography of Athelstan, unfortunately, and he wasn't featured much in the uh, Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, but he seems to have had quite an imperial mindset in military affairs, and yet also presides over a very cultured court. So perhaps similar to, Athelstan, uh, to Alfred, we've got the battliness, but we've also got a lot of culture going on as well. Mm-hmm. So let's look at their lives and reigns in more detail. Ali, do you remember what comes Well, I, I, this time we're sitting closer so I can see it. It is biography. And I apologise about the hands. I've been doing it for a long time now and I can't, I, for some reason I can't do it without doing the hands. It, it gets annoying. So a bit of backgroundy stuff for Alfred the Great to understand the context uh, when he came to the throne. At this point, England doesn't actually yet exist uh, as a country. Um, we've got a smaller series of kingdoms like Wessex, which is where Alfred's from, Mercia in the Midlands, Northumbria... Um, up north um, and from the 8th 6th up here I suppose we are, yeah I was going to say we're, we are here just you know, you know. so be careful what we say <laughs> let's not repeat the mistake we made in Leeds last night oh god and by yeah. we I obviously mean Ali yeah. Manchester were great <laughs> it was really awkward <laughs> From the 860s, England sees a series of major Viking raids and then settlements, and all the kingdoms in England start to fall to the Vikings, and Wessex is pretty much the last one that's left still standing. Wessex is sort of the south and southwest Mm -hmm. of England. Um, Now, Alfred, as a young boy, goes to Rome as a child, which is a very major influence, but it's unlikely that he would ever have become king, because he's actually the youngest of five brothers. 
It's violent time, though. Do they all get it in war? They're all in war or just general Saxons not living very long. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, death. But yeah. none of them, apart from his last brother, produce any children. And because his children are very young, Alfred ends up taking the throne. Okay, so but he's born with rivals then. Are there people that uh, want his nephews? He does have nephews, but they will be a trouble for his son rather than uh, okay, for him himself. Point. He's got to deal, though, with the Vikings. He becomes king in the year 878, uh, sorry, 871, suffered an early defeat to the Vikings, but makes a peace with them. But then seven years later, in 878, on Twelfth Night, the Vikings, led by a chap called Guthrum, surprise him at Chippenham. He's forced to flee from court and, with a few supporters, takes refuge in the marshes of Athelney in Somerset. So at this point... Alfred, Wessex, England, if you like, is really just now based hiding in a swamp, hoping the Vikings don't find them. Is that modern-day Glastonbury, the, the levels? The, yeah, the, it's that sort of right, area okay. yeah, in Somerset. Right, so but so when you say that, you, you imply that there's an idea of England, it's the Saxon nation is reduced to that level. Well, I suppose it's because everywhere else that was Saxon really is being conquered by the Vikings. Right. So this is the last bit that's still... Okay. Still Saxon and independent. Doesn't look good. It's not looking good. No. This is where we get a legend of Alfred burning the cakes. He was said to have been sheltering uh, in the house of a cowherd, asked by the wife to keep an eye on the cakes. And his mind was so much focused on all of the military troubles going on that he took his eye off the cakes and they burned. What, what do we learn from that? Uh, well, that you can't trust Alfred with a cake. Well, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. It's a metaphor for the fact that he took his eye off the kingdom. Didn't mm. shore up its defences when he had a chance, and as a result, it's sure, all gone the to cake pot. Sure, I don't get this. I'd much rather he was thinking about the battles than the cakes. I think that's a good way to be. She should have given him a bit of a break. Yeah. I think he was so. having a hard time. Don't tell anyone about it, certainly. <laughs> yeah. However, he does have a plan. He is able to establish a secret network um, with some of his supporters across the country, and gradually they come together and they agree a meeting point and they're going to have one last try to get back and attack the Vikings. And this ends up being the Battle of Eddington. Alfred leads really an all-or-nothing battle for the Saxons and is victorious. The Vikings are defeated. But that's not the end of them, is it? Oh, it's certainly not the end of the Vikings generally, but it does mean that Alfred has got his kingdom back and he is now able to rebuild. He actually is quite, uh, as we said, he's a pious man. So rather than killing Guthrum, the Viking leader, he has him baptised. <laughs> That's narrow, isn't it? Well, God, is, does he go along with He'd have with just this? had his head straight off. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. Does he come back to give him problems? Well, no, not actually. He oh. doesn't do much. What he does as well is he gives him land in East Anglia. So he gives him a stake in Alfred's kingdom. Right. So actually, Guthrum thinks there's something in this for him. So that if he plays ball, he's got some territory, he's got some land... You don't yeah. need to be raiding if you've got that. Okay, so he's Saxon now. He's a little bit Saxon, and uh, in 886 they agree a split of the kingdom. So we have established a thing called the Dane Law. So the Danes take the east and northeast of England, and then everything else south of that and west of that is England. Watling Street. Mm. Mm, I was driving down that the other day. Had a car crash. It was great. Oh. <laughs> but um, that was one of the things that went through my mind as, <laughs> as the trailer zoomed past me. Oh, this is Watling Street. Mm. Yes, it wasn't your life flashing by, just a... Uh, 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 the one time I remembered anything from Rex Factor, I just <laughs> need... Yeah. 
Uh, but Alfred doesn't just sort out Guthrum and think, well, that's the problem sorted. He does have more plans going on. And one of these is setting up things called burrs. Um, so these are essentially sort of fortified market towns. So the idea is that they are going to be within 20 miles of each other so that if the Vikings attack, you've got a base to defend and then you'll be able to reinforce during the same day and the Vikings will have to go home. Hmm. Well, that's pretty clever. Also reorganises the army so that you can always have half the people working in the fields, half the people actually in service so that you've always got food and soldiers. That's very clever. Mm. Mm. So there's a Viking invasion in the 890s in Alfred's reign, but they're unable to get a firm footing in the country because the system of burrs and the reorganised army is actually now very effective Mm. in seeing them off. Brilliant. But it's not just military affairs that Alfred is concerned about. He also thinks that we need to get the country back on its feet, and he focuses on education. He was actually illiterate until he was a teenager, but he was always fascinated with books and learning. So he believed that with learning we can improve ourselves. And so he headhunts scholars from all over Europe and Britain, translates all these great Latin works. He even has to learn Latin himself so that he can translate them into English for everybody else. Mm. And uh, he leaves behind this legacy of learning that was almost taken away by all of these Viking invasions. So, hang on, he was employing monks to do it, but he was also doing it himself. He was also doing it himself. Wow. Mm. I mean, do we want that from a ruler? (laughs) Shouldn't he have been doing other stuff? Or is this a hobby? Things to focus on. Yeah, I guess it's a okay, hobby. Right. Mm, yeah, pretty good. So when he dies in the year 899 at the age of 50, England is not yet finalised as we see it today. The borders aren't complete. As we said, we've still got that Danelaw territory on the east and northeast. But nevertheless, Alfred has set a vision and a foundation of what could become England. Mm. That's pretty pretty punchy. Mm. I, th- I liked it at the time when we did it first, didn't I? Yes, you always used to like Alfred, and then for some reason you decided that it was all very muddy. And, uh, well, it's undoubtedly like muddy. It would have been awful. <laughs> so miserable. <laughs> Look, I've built you a new house out of mud. Oh, horrible. I'm just wondering, like, did you go to Glastonbury after we did the Alfred episode and it was one of the rainy years? <laughs> no, I have never been. Uh, but, no, I don't know why. I don't know what caused it. Maybe, I was, maybe it was the later episodes on Athelstan that made me think it was the first one and I think maybe I hadn't you know found a level well let's see if hearing about Athelstan uh, reignites mm. your sense that Alfred wasn't quite good enough mm. for, for Alfred uh, sorry for Alfred uh, we'd normally cut all it's this. the same it's a similar name and I keep trying to say Alfred Ali usually says Arthur when he means Alfred <laughs> So I'm now saying Athelstan. So Athelstan was actually invested by his grandfather, Alfred, as a young boy. So there was a sense that Alfred had a vision of Athelstan as the future king that would carry on his work. So he's given a cloak, a belt and a sword. Lucky boy. Lucky boy indeed. Um, His father, Athelstan's father, continues uh, building all of these burrs and he expands territories now into East Anglia, Essex and later Mercia. So we can see that from Alfred's time, we've now expanded further north. So England is starting to become more of a reality Mm. by the time that Athelstan becomes king. Athelstan is actually brought up by his aunt, Ethelfled, who becomes Lady of the Mercians. So she's actually a warrior queen ruling in the Midlands, and it's her and Athelstan's father who are the key alliance in building on what Alfred had started. Are we going to do her in the next series? We are going to do her in the next series. Yeah, we're looking forward to doing her. So when Athelstan's father, Edward the Elder, dies, it's a little bit awkward in terms of the succession because his father had remarried 
and has sons by his second marriage, and they seem to be seen as the people who are actually going to succeed him in Wessex. Mm. Fortunately, the person who does become king in Wessex dies just a few weeks later. Hooray! And uh, Athelstan is able to establish himself as king instead. But it's only the year after his father died, 925, that Athelstan is crowned, so perhaps there are lingering divisions within... Because there's not a sense of England that you could still be king of one of these little kingdoms of Wessex, and it would all... Oh, yeah, Athelstan was the eldest son, but perhaps the second marriage was seen as being more prestigious, so mm-hmm. the new children were seen as being up the hierarchy. Right, okay. Either way, Athelstan has made, managed to become king himself, so it's not a problem. Now, in York, we have a very powerful Norse ruler called Citric, so he owns Northumbria and also Dublin, so we've got this sort of Viking axis of Dublin, Northumbria, and then obviously off to Viking land. Mm. Well, that was something that we got from that special episode on Vikings that perhaps I didn't appreciate when we were doing the Saxons first time round, that it wasn't just mainland England, us versus them, but they were totally surrounded in Ireland and in in Viking lands (laughs) and in England and parts of mainland Europe. So it really was backs against the wall job. So at this point, it's not clear that... England is inevitably going to become the country that it is now. It was just as possible that you could have England that's much smaller, Scotland that's much smaller, and then this very powerful bit in the middle, which is ruled by Vikings. So actually, at the start, Athelstan makes a deal with uh, this chap Citric, marries his sister to him to make some kind of peace treaty. I'm surprised. I thought he would have insisted that they were baptised as well, rather than marrying his sister to someone who wasn't Christian. Well, I guess he was a powerful enough ruler that Athelstan couldn't just get rid of him or Mm. enforce terms on him. Thankfully, though, in 927, Citric dies. And as such, Athelstan is able to show what he's really made of. And he zooms straight into York, invades, captures the city, and receives the submission of the Northumbrians. And this is the first time that we've actually got the Northumbrians uh, showing that they are paying homage to the southern Wessex rulers. Again... Careful. <laughs> but that's great. Uh, that's, you know, for the creation of England. Well, yeah, exactly. So this is the first time that we've actually got all of these parts of England now being part of England ruled yeah. definitively by the same person. However, he's not finished just with York. He then calls a meeting of all the Welsh, Cumbrian and Scottish rulers. They all have to come to Penrith and pay him homage and accept that he is their overlord and they're not going to make any more deals with those pesky Vikings. Welsh kings as well. Welsh king, Scottish king, and the rule of Cumbria. So, now, I've got a little uh, game that I'm playing with Graham on this tour where I try and squeeze as much Edward I in as possible. That's the first reference of the night. (laughs) So, does that mean that there was some sort of precedent for Edward when he claimed to be king of Wales? And, you know, there was some sense of legality when he went... It wasn't necessarily conquering. He was just getting his territory back when he went through. Well, I mean, without going too much into Edward I, because we have done him already, to be honest. <laughs> Not enough. Um, uh, Edward doesn't really say that he's king of Wales. He just says that they owe him homage. So yeah. when they don't pay homage, he says, well, no, you definitely owe me money. And But is this the first time that those Welsh uh, kings have... I think Alfred had got a certain oh, amount yeah, of it yeah, yeah, as yeah, well yeah, yeah. and Ethelfled, but mm. Alf, uh, Athelstan is taking it further than anybody else by actually having them come to him in England and in a very public ceremony acknowledging mm. him as their superior right okay and apparently not all of the Welsh kings um, actually finish off with this so on his way back from Penrith he pops off to Wales to deal with a rebellion there and then pops down to Cornwall to also deal with a rebellion there alright just mopping up all the details yeah so you've gone yeah. to York Penrith Wales Cornwall 
That's pretty similar to our tour. <laughs> and he does this all in a space of a year. So from start of 927, when we've not really yet got England fully established, suddenly he's just zoomed all over the place and there it is. Sorted it out. Mm. Brilliant. Now, it doesn't all go according to plan after this because the King of Scots, a chap called Constantine II, seems to have rebelled against Athelstan. But he made a bit of a mistake in doing this because Athelstan raises a huge army, including actually the Welsh princes. Mm -hmm. So they're not just paying Athelstan homage, they actually have to fight in his armies as well. Mm. And he invades Scotland, so he goes north with an army. He also sends a navy all the way round to Caithness, right at the top. Um, And Constantine has to submit once again and then go south with Athelstan and so we've got Constantine the Cumbrians and the Welsh following Athelstan just all around in his court witnessing charters and really very clearly uh, being uh, inferior to Athelstan and Constantine was a Rex Factor winner? He did in the Scottish series, so he was a very effective king, but yeah. he's nevertheless having to follow Athelstan around. And Athelstan is now not only styling himself King of England, he's actually starting to style himself as the Emperor of Britain. Oh, wow. So it's not even just that he's dominant over these countries, he's now asserting that he effectively is the ruler of the whole island. And we don't see that again for... Well, hang on, let me do some maths. <laughs> 700 years? Yeah, it's really not until the uh, the union of the crowns with James VI. Wow. That we have that again. So yeah. it's probably the most powerful. Service. Oh, hang on, what about Edgar? Uh, well, he's not, yeah, it's similar. Similar, okay, fine. But he's, uh, he's probably the most powerful person in the country since the Romans, really. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So it's all very impressive. Um, and as you said at the start, he's also a cultured man as well as, as a military man. So the royal court is much larger than his predecessors, much larger than for Alfred, which is perhaps one of the things you picked up on. Mm. So rather than these mud huts and everyone having a bit of a hard time, yeah. Athelstan will have pageantry. We've got court poets and people coming from all across Europe to be at Athelstan's court because he's a highly respected ruler now. Uh, he continues his grandfather's works with lots of forward-thinking legal reforms and religious patronage. He's got lots and lots of half-sisters thanks to his father's various marriages. So they all get married to royal families on the continent. Mm. And he also fosters sons of other European rulers because he's seen as being a very illustrious ruler and that's where you want to be you want to be at Athelstan's court wow that's really helpful isn't it so he's got all these alliances going on so it's everything is getting properly settled Mm. we're not going to go back to any of this Watling Street business well except that the other rulers in Britain aren't so happy about having to submit to him and follow him around all the time okay so constantly uh, uh, consequently Constantine I'll say that (laughs) one quickly forms an alliance of Scots, Cumbrians and the Irish Vikings. They all band together to try and topple Athelstan one last time. Oh dear. Vikings as well? Vikings, Scots, Cumbrians are all together. Right, okay. So we have an epic battle of Brunenburg in 937. This is potentially going to decide the future of Britain and it is a victory for Athelstan. He defeats his enemies. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's so that now there's no question. Mm. Everyone's defeated. Everyone initially gave their homage and now actually he's beaten them in battle as well. Job done. Job done. And as such, with nothing else to do, a couple of years later, Athelstan dies. <laughs> the year 939, he was only 46 at the time, but very much at the height of his powers. Uh, and he's buried in Malmesbury rather than Winchester in Wessex, which suggests he's maybe still not quite a fully Wessex man. Well, hang on. He's buried in Malmesbury in... 
Malmesbury, which isn't in the old kingdom of Wessex. Oh, right. Okay. So there's maybe still a little bit of a lingering thing going yeah. on there. But nevertheless, mm. he has died. He's defeated his enemies and we have England fully formed. That's brilliant. Mm. It's just like the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave those yeah. in. Uh, so what are you thinking at this point? So you've heard both of their life stories. I'm back with Athelstan. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> That's brilliant. I mean, okay. The uh, other fellow, uh, Alfred, Alfred. <laughs> he, he set him up, but Athelstan knocked it out of the park. Well, that's the interesting thing with these. It's the continuity. It's the continuation of the same story. Yeah. So obviously you can't get to Athelstan without all of the stuff that Alfred does. Yeah. So it's whether you pay more to Alfred building those foundations, saving the country, or if you think of actually the raw power and majesty of Athelstan trumps... Hmm. Have we does. have we had this before? I'm just thinking of Henry the Seventh, Henry the Eighth, but Henry the Eighth we gave it to for reasons that he's just got this star quality, not that he was so much mm. better. Mm. One of the problems for Athelstan, perhaps in history, has been that Alfred has uh, has his Asa, mm. which is a Welsh monk, rather yeah. than anything slightly ruder. So we've got Alfred's biography sent down to us. So essentially, we know that Alfred's great because he tells us that he is. Whereas Athelstan, there may have been a biography, but it's now been lost to history. So perhaps we lose some yeah. of his personality yeah. and interest about Athelstan. So we've had even more about him, which perhaps once existed. And a Victorian Renaissance and interest in that period and stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah I, I, I mean, his achievements are so much greater. I mean, they come from a... He had a, was born with a silver spoon and that he had all this, all this potential I mean, Alfred there. probably almost literally gave him a silver spoon. Yeah, but... He turned it platinum because <laughs> he then went off and did the whole, uh, you know, conquered the whole country. Whereas Alfred was from a miserable start and achieved a lot. But, uh, you know, founding the borders of modern England is, is amazing. Well, let's have a look at them factor by factor to see if that makes it any clearer who really was the great. Battleiness. <laughs> You've got these down now. And I'm reading them. You are reading them. So this is how good they were in battle. And both of them obviously have some pretty big successes. It starts badly, of course, for Alfred. He had to make an initial peace treaty with the Vikings after losing and uh, obviously being kicked out into the marshlands wasn't mm. particularly impressive. Not good. But he also does a lot of very impressive things. Before he became king, there was the Battle of Ashdown when his brother was apparently still praying in his tent, despite the fact that the Vikings were actually marching at them. So Alfred leads his troops against both of uh, the sets of Viking forces up a hill in the shield wall and was said to have fought like a wild boar until his brother joined and they were able to enjoy a rare victory. What I now I'm getting a lot of my research uh, about Alfred from the recent BBC adaptation of Bernard Cornwell. Yeah, The Last Kingdom. The Last Kingdom, that's one. And I thought Alfred did that at one point where he was just praying all the time and not on the ball. Uh, he did pray all the time, but uh, he does also fight. Okay. You know, swings and roundabouts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the biggie, though, for Alfred is the Battle of Eddington in 878. This is when he'd been reduced just to hiding in the swamps. That's the, the entirety, really, the English world at this stage is just Alfred in the marshland, mm. hiding about, trying not to get picked off by Vikings. Yeah. Yeah. But he emerges. We have a very dramatic charge. Apparently it was right it was at dawn and they charged downhill into the Vikings. It's a long, hard battle through the day. Another one of those shield walls, which 
if you've not seen something like The Last Kingdom, they're all right together, shields tightly packed, pushing against each other, and then just swords. Yeah. Like a rugby through. scrum with daggers. Yeah, it's or a really a... brutal, brutal way of fighting. But mm. Alfred wins against the Vikings. And in the Scottish series, whenever anybody took the Vikings on, you always used to say that was a really stupid thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Because you'd thought, lose. Yeah, I thought that was true in the English series as well, but we started with victories. Mm. Mm. But you shouldn't take it for granted because this is an all-or-nothing victory. You could argue that if Alfred has lost this battle, he would have almost certainly been killed England would oof. that's a first <laughs> except when you did it earlier oh uh, yes <laughs> first in the last 10 minutes yeah. right carry on if Alfred had lost this battle and Alfred had been killed there would never have been an England the English speaking yeah. world would never have existed the like whole another, country that comes yeah. after that never happens it would have been like another Scandinavian nation yeah like a, wow and sort of north what is that like north sea empire with uh, Canute yeah mm, wow so if you're talking big battles in English history, it probably doesn't get actually much better than this, really, if he'd lost. Well, how would that compare to 1066? Like, well, we lost that one. Yeah. I suppose by that point, <laughs> though, there was still an England. So even though the rulers um, took over and were all French, you still actually had the English people carrying on as they were, but that was because an England had already been set up. Uh, Whereas for yeah. Alfred, it wasn't really there. Mm. Yeah. Well, Battle of Britain then. Okay. I mean, quite <laughs> a lot later now. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I'm trying to disprove this. I agree. Carry Important on. battle. Yeah. Um, he also does a bit of work in setting up a navy. He recognises that the Viking strength is their ability to come very far inland with their ships. So he designs and builds a small navy. Yeah, I, that, I should love that. You should love that. And he had about 100 ships and some success, but perhaps... I think it was because he also has quite a few defeats. So he's got ships, but it's not quite as effective Mm. as you might like. So the Victorians claim that Alfred starts the Royal Navy, but actually it's just he builds some ships and some he wins, some he loses. Okay. But it's Um, forward thinking. Yeah. Massive great battle. Mm. Yeah. That's that's his crowning achievement. Well, and the Burrs. So we've got the battle as a an offensive victory but the burrs are how he is then able to see off the vikings mm-hmm. so as he said 20 miles apart so that meant it's always a day's ride to each new reinforcement so the vikings who like to go in quickly stabby 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 and take all the food home but now they get caught by defenses and then all these other saxons turn up and fight them off so these are like the birth of castles then in a way, yes, which is something that Ali will like. Okay, so, that's yes, Alfred yeah. invented castles, kind oh, of. Yeah, that's, that's put everything on its head. <laughs> but it's very clever, and uh, to go to 1940, as you did just earlier, one of Alfred's designs at Wareham, the ramparts, were actually used as anti-tank defences in the war. Oh, that's cool. So Love something that. that Alfred built in the 870s or 80s was still being utilised for defence of the country. Wow. A thousand years later. Wow, wow, wow. I, uh, previously, I thought the longest defence was um, Dover, the way that was still used in the Second World War, but that's fantastic. Just because they were massive earth ramparts. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, uh, yeah, okay, you're persuading me. What about Athelstan? Well, I mean, the the one thing I'll give you for Alfred is the fact that it isn't yet England. So Alfred was said to have been king over the whole English people, except for that part which was under Danish rule. (laughs) Which, (laughs) they probably didn't mean that to be quite such a ridiculous caveat as (laughs) it sounds, but 
But there is a limit to Alfred's dominance. It's mm. not the whole of what we'd now call England. There are still yeah. Viking rulers in the country. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's ready for his grandson. Exactly. So for Athelstan, we had that blitzkrieg really in 927 when he rushed in to take York. Uh, the York Chronicler afterwards said that we were never subject to any of the kings of the South Angles before Athelstan. So it really is a first that Athelstan has done here. So do they feel like they're being invaded then? Well, yes. I mean, that's one of the interesting things um, for the creation of England is that actually for some people in different parts of it, you might not necessarily see it as a positive. Yeah, we're sort of imagining that there's You'd all these English... You'd be conquered by Wessex, really. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's all these English people just waiting to be given a name. And we all, you know, <laughs> yeah. But actually, it's Wessex conquering York. And they there were lots of them that were happy under Dane law, or were Danish. Hmm. Hmm, weird. So... Okay, so it's actually not it's not clear cut. This might go either way. This is not gonna it's not like the people of York are thinking, Oh, thank God, finally we're happy now. Mm. He might face further rebellion. Exactly. Um he then, as we said, went on to Aimant Bridge in Penrith to receive uh, submissions for all these other rulers. So it's the first of several effectively imperial councils that Athelstan likes to hold, and he does put in quite a lot of pageantry as well. So he's very much trumpeting the fact that he is dominant over all these people. It's not just a few kings signing on a dotted line mm. and quietly going back home again, something that everybody gets to see. Right, yeah. Bit of propaganda. Bit of propaganda. Inventing PR. If you will. <laughs> um, there was a big de- rebellion in uh, northwest Wales soon after this. Apparently there were five kings that Athelstan had to go and force to submit to him, mm-hmm. which they do. Had to pay a huge tribute, apparently 25,000 oxen and unlimited hawks. <laughs> so... <laughs> Any time Athelstan needed a hawk, he'd just send a, the Welsh. Send a pigeon, I suppose, to the Welsh. Yeah. <laughs> just send a hawk. He's got loads of them. Send oh, yeah. another one. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and then, as we said, he effectively styles himself Emperor of Britain. It's not just what we now term England. It's the Welsh. It's the Scots. It's the whole island. That's an extraordinary yeah. thing to have achieved from being in a point when he didn't even have the north of England. And suddenly he's got all the land that you can see. Until he reached the sea. He owns everything. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. Very impressive. Um, it's not clear to what extent he has to fight battles to do all of this. So to give him a battle in a score, is it because he's great at fighting or is it just that he storms in with lots of troops and they think, well, we'll, we'll sign your bit of paper and go along with the ceremony and then you'll go home and we'll just carry on as if nothing ever happened. Yeah, there's probably a lot of that, but then it all comes to a head again, doesn't it? It does all come to a head again. Initially, it came to a head in 934 when Constantine of the Scots uh, broke that initial agreement. But as I said, Athelstan goes up uh, to Aberdeen by land. The fleet attack Caithness. Constantine submits. And it's amazingly quick how fast uh, how he does it all. He was in May in Winchester in mm-hmm. England, mm-hmm. southern England, and then he was back home again in September. Wow. So he's got all the way up to Aberdeen, dealt with rebellion, and then come home again. Goodness, that's like Henry the Second job. Yeah, so that's just four months yeah, fantastic. to do all of that. He's looking pretty good. I mean, it's going to be good without the big battle. He's also perhaps the first Saxon king to really have some foreign intervention as well. He supports the restoration of a Breton and Frankish royal families, and in 939 he sent an English fleet to Flanders to help an ally there. So that's the first time we have direct foreign intervention. Wow. Fantastic. Well, is it fantastic? It does set us up for a fall later in history. A, a fine legacy of <laughs> yeah. uh, British intervention abroad yeah. that yeah, followed. Um, but, but it's an interesting how what power he had that Alfred was struggling just to 
have something that was England. Yeah. Athelstan's actually sending the fleet off to help other countries. Yeah, that's the bit that I, I think is great, that it shows that it isn't just this funny little backwater of Europe, but actually a really powerful kingdom that can help allies and is involved with the politics of Europe. You know, it's only like 50 years since Alfred was in the swamps, and mm. here he is, yeah, yeah. Emperor of Britain, sending fleets to Flanders. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's an amazing turnaround. The biggie, though, is the Battle of Brunanburh, the alliance of the Scots, the Irish, the Vikings. It's said to have been an epic battle lasting all day, and there are a lot of casualties. Athelstan loses two of his cousins, two earls, and one bishop. <laughs> How did he lose a bishop? I really shouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no. <laughs> they were going around with their maces and yeah. clubs, weren't they? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's probably all the robes. Probably fell over all the robes, didn't they? Oh yeah, but it's worse for the uh, for the Alla- well the uh, the coalition of his enemies. Five kings and seven earls on the uh, opposing side were killed. It sounds like a game of chess, losing a bishop <laughs> and a king. Uh, but you know, clearly he has lost more of the other pieces. Mm. And obviously, thousands of people who aren't earls and bishops who don't get recorded yes. to memory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, in the nine eighties, it was still being referred to as the Great Battle. Mm. Um, and yeah it's one of the biggest battles really in Anglo-Saxon history it just gets overshadowed by obviously like you mentioned the Battle of Hastings yeah but for a long time this was the definitive wow conflict yeah. um, I mean that's really interesting parallel isn't it that they both face these massive defining moments uh, Alfred to survive at all mm. and Athelstan to protect this idea of Britain it's really tricky to split those two apart. Yeah, I mean, for, for Athelstan, if you're going to criticise him, um, apparently it took a little bit too long to raise an army, but if you see what happened to the Saxons at Hastings, maybe it was wise to mm. mm-hmm. take a bit of time out. But actually, all of the rival leaders survive Athelstan. He's actually the first of them to die, so they all survived the battle, and after he dies, the Vikings effectively did what Athelstan did, rush into York, take it all back. So mm. then Alfred, Athelstan, sorry, is his successor then has to spend the next few years kind of recovering all of the territory. So in a way, Alfred wins the battle. Sorry, Athelstan (laughs) wins the battle. It all seems fine. He dies and then it goes back again. So it's not like Athelstan starts an unending period going up. It does sort of take another little bit of a dip. But what could he have done differently? That he had the burrs all set up. It's not. Well, I mean, what you've been complaining about, about kings and all this live tour, he just shouldn't have died. Yeah, well, yeah, quite right. He shouldn't have died. He should have done a lot more living, and then that would have been absolutely sorted. Mm. Who did, who was his successor? His son, or was it one of these weird Scottish systems? Uh, it was his uh, one of his brothers, Edmund, mm. half brother. Might have been part of the problem. Mm. In terms of scores, Alfred we gave eleven out of twenty, and Athelstan seventeen. But I think surely Alfred was undermarked. Oh, he definitely was, doesn't it? That, wasn't he? That was. Um that was the problem of doing our first episode. We had no idea about levels of mm. actually, you know, what a great battle in a score was. I think that probably reflects it. I think they'd be more equal. Yeah. I mean, as to say, they both have an epic, crucial battle and victory to their name. Mm. Um, and it's progress. Alfred starts quite small and has to build up. Athelstan is obviously fighting on a grander scale. But achieves a lot. So I guess the question is, are you more impressed by Alfred's sort of backs against the walls, last chance saloon? and then setting up, or is it Athelstan having this huge power and empire and being able to take on this epic coalition group against him? 
I think normally, you know, I love an underdog, so I should be alpha. But I think here, um, I think it's Athelstan for me mm. because it's such a, an incredible concept that is then set up. Okay, yeah, it does go back again, but that the idea is then placed in the minds of the nation. You, you know, maybe this is an ideal to keep going back to. And it does, it forms the idea of Britain, of England. But it's easier in a way for Athelstan, isn't it? Because Alfred's got nothing, really. He really is completely up against it, whereas Athelstan inherits all of what Alfred did, mm. all of what Edward the Elder and Ethelfled did. So Athelstan comes to the throne with lots of resources, lots of troops, all these birds that have been built. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's all been set up for him to finish the job, whereas actually Alfred, he's in an appalling position. Yeah, but he does finish the job. And and I sort of think with Alfred that there's occasions later on in Saxon history where, you know, we're, we, the Saxons <laughs> are, um, have, you know, backs against the wall against the Vikings and the odd win, which gives them breathing space. You know, that it wasn't, it wasn't on the scale of Athelstan's victory, like everyone against him. It was the Vikings and him, another, another skirmish. Mm. It's not to uh, underestimate the Vikings, though. Yeah. And that was, Alfred was against peak Viking, really. That was full-on great summer army, all these, they've been rampaging all over the place. Yeah, I, I find it hard to put anything between them. I think they're both really good, but I just think the if you were to see Brunenberg, that would be amazing. And the, the old muddy, swampy battle <laughs> would be... <laughs> the mud's coming back into it. <laughs> would It would be great. In that it, it's a victory, but it, it doesn't make the quite the Hollywood movie that the Brunenberg battle would. Mm, despite the Bernard Cornwall series currently showing about Alfred the yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what Rex Factor is about, isn't it? All the time we're saying, I can't believe they're making another film about, oh, well, for example, now we'd normally cut that, uh, Robin Hood. And there's all of these people in history that are crying out to have a film made about them. Why isn't there an Athelstan movie? It'd be amazing. Mm. Any film producers? <laughs> no? All right. Should we move on to the next category? Yes. Is it there? Scandal! <laughs> you weren't quite sure that it was. There was two Scandal. S's, yeah. Uh, so we also like to see how much uh, infamy and notoriety the kings can get up to. That's a crucial part of what we like to see mm-hmm. in a king. Unfortunately, these two are perhaps not the most scandalous monarchs mm. in English history. A bit right. too religious and pious. Yeah, they're not going to school well. Business. That said, Alfred the Great does seem to have had something of a hang-up of carnal lust. Oh, good. Right, great. Seems to have been highly sexed in his youth, and he uh, feared that he would receive a subsequent illness as a punishment from God. Um, so he, he seems to be in a bit obsessed about it, to the extent that you think, well, there must be something there. Yeah, yeah. Like he would actually pray up. for a painful disease to inhibit his desires. What? Which on the one hand is obviously him wanting not for you to be dinging that bell. Yeah. But he must have really wanted that bell to, be, <laughs> yeah, to have yeah. to pray for it not to happen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor chat was very conflicted, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> so did he see it through and then just do lots of praying to make up for it? Or Well, potentially he may have been pretty much chased after he had his children oh. with his wife. But also potentially has an illegitimate child, so. Um, so he what? So hang on, he has children with his wife, with his wife, and then decide, decides that's quite enough. Yeah, I've got enough kids in the Saxon age where you really can't have enough kids because it's all yeah. so bloody and uh, uh, disease-ridden. 
and he's actually allowed to have sex with his wife under the you know he's married he is yeah and, but what so why does he say that's quite enough thanks well i guess because he wants god to inhibit his uh, carnal desires so if he's gonna allow them any form man. of outlet then that's gonna be far right, too much okay <laughs> okay right and that's what all we've got for Alfred. Oh dear, Alfred! You know, you wanted to see him beheading the Vikings, but instead he baptized Guthrum. Yeah, no good at all. I'm hoping Athelstan has a bit more about him. Well, Athelstan is perhaps a little bit suspicious when we look at what happens to some of his brothers. Right. As we said initially, when his father died, it was a bit uncertain about the succession because even though Athelstan was the older son, Edward the Elder's children by his second marriage seemed to have been considered a bit more royal and mm. up the food chain yeah. than him. But very conveniently, Elfweard, his next brother in the queue, the one which was uh, recognised in Wessex, uh, dies. Mm, okay, I'm hovering. Now he has another half-brother by that second marriage, a chap called Edwin, who is also favoured in Essex, uh, in Wessex, sorry. And in the year 933, he was put onto a boat without any provisions and which was apparently full of holes. Oh, come on. That's ridiculous. Why, what explanation did they have for that? Just he was going on a fishing trip or something. <laughs> in fairness to Athelstan... Um, it might have been coincidence that the first one died. Edwin was implicated in two plots to have Athelstan blinded. What is with the blinding in this time? The, the Saxons used to like... Well, I mean, they, when I say they used to like blinding people, it wasn't a general sort of Saturday night activity. They seemed to. Activity. The evidence is there. The issue for them was that if a king was blind, then they would consider he wasn't able to rule his people and he couldn't leave them in battle. But crucially, he wouldn't actually have killed the king. He oh, right. Have committed murder. Get out clause. Yeah. Right. Okay. But so, and uh, the first ever uh, death by boat, actually, in, um, yeah. in Rex Factor until made of Norway. Yeah. What? So that, why didn't they just blind him? Uh, well, I guess Athelstan. So we had a boat. A bit they more. thought, I've got an idea. <laughs> yeah. This will be fun. Technically, yeah. we're not killing him. Yeah. He does have a boat. So it's, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so that's two of his brothers that are quite conveniently meeting with unfortunate ends. Yep. This is looking good. Um, he may have had an illegitimate daughter. Mm, all right. But he is said to have remained celibate because you asked about the succession. Because there was this dispute about all these other sons, to try and deal with that and the other half-brothers from a third marriage of his father's, right. quite a lot of marriages for Edmund yeah. the Elder, he's sort of prototype Henry VIII, Athelstan agrees that he won't marry and he won't have any children. So... When he dies, it will definitely go to his next half-brother, Edmund. So it's a way of seeing off any family conflict. Athelstan doesn't marry. The brother will take the throne after him. Everybody's happy. Apart from Athelstan. Apart from Athelstan. And apart from you, obviously. Yeah, yeah, that's hopeless. So we've got both kings actually taking up celibacy. Yeah, that's really bad. They weren't thinking about their sandal score at all. They really weren't. Another thing, perhaps, for Athelstan, um, as you said, he never marries. Mm. And after his sisters marries, he does keep quite a sort of a young male court. Oh, hello. Fostering Diggy. sons from across Europe. Yes. All coming, Was all he? the courts and all the poets. Mm, that's a ding. So, but at the time, that would have been outrageous or was there an element of sort of Greek tolerance? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's... It's an age of Germanic male heroic culture. If you think of Beowulf and that sort of thing, oh, with yeah. all these great rulers all around. 
mm. all around the fire. So actually, perhaps it, well, they wouldn't have seen it as being so he's doing in any way. Oh, they wouldn't have seen it as odd. No, they just thought, ah, oh, we're all great heroes slapping each other's backs and. <laughs> Okay, okay. Well, it is up there registered as a potential scandal. Uh, but yeah, so they both really seem to have avoided time in the bedroom. They did, but at least... They Anderson, locked that door. They did, yeah, and uh, their chastity belt was throw away the key job. Yeah. But at least Athelstan had some... Uh, is it fratricide, Murder of Brothers? Yeah. Yeah. Double fratricide, potentially. Ooh. At least one. Yeah. And potentially an Ill- illegitimate daughter? daughter yeah, yeah, though Alfred potentially had an illegitimate son as well but at least he had the murders so he's winning on this front bit of murder Mm, good enough good next one subjectivity well this is where both of them are going to do rather better yeah particularly Alfred the challenge for Alfred was immense Um, the Viking raids and conquest of the previous decades had done terrible damage all across England fields were untended trade was ruined town living had basically been completely abandoned so people weren't I suppose this is for you they were in their mud huts yeah it was miserable well it was miserable that's what Alfred had to deal with law and order barely exists literacy is almost completely gone apparently even the monks who are meant to be writing everything down quite a few of them didn't really just stuck with the pictures. Well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were good at that, weren't they? Well, apparently, genuinely, for historians, some of those um, documents from that time, it's actually quite hard to read because the spelling and the grammar is just wow. all over the place. Yeah. Oh, so that's why it was Alfred who went and got the monks. It yep. was Alfred. It's like, okay. right, we need to do some education. Mm. And of course, the Vikings are actually still there and are still a presence. Mm. Yeah, not good. So initially, what Alfred had to do, of course, was win the Battle of Eddington and save the potential for an England to and exist. Mm. But then he's got to build it. Mm-hmm. And he is the one that has a vision of creating this kingdom of all the English peoples. He sees beyond the regional identities that we'd had before and thinks, actually, no, we're all one people. This can all be one country. Right. And to help achieve that, this was the, this was the reason for the Burrs and the Chronicles, which gives him an edge because he wrote it all down. Exactly. So the Burrs are not just effective as a military defence tactic, but it's actually the reinvigoration of urban living again because they are fortified market towns. Um, Alfred designs uh, a lot of these. Actually, Mm. in some of the places that he starts, you can still see the town layout in certain places that was actually Alfred's design. It encourages people back in, so we've got community living again. This helps create a sense of identity. Yeah. So they're not just private castles, mm. if you will, but they are actually towns that people are living in and trading in. Yeah. Well, that's pretty good. It's very good. Um, and of course, that means that with trade, the royal coffers are restored. There's money flowing around again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but and I suppose the thing to remember at all times with this is that it's from a point of him sitting in a swamp burning cakes. Exactly. is impressive. And that's what he's done. Yeah. Mm. And uh, a chief example of this is that uh, London basically is refounded. The Roman settlement, Londinium, had been abandoned and the Vikings controlled what was called Ludenwick with uh, Mercian puppet rulers. Right. So in 886, Alfred retakes the city and refounds it and forces all of the Saxons to move back into the wall city. Forces them to move back. So, oh, in there. Yeah, yeah, where you're nice and safe. Yeah. Okay, and using some of the old walls and stuff. Yeah, so um, there's a new street plan from Cheapside to the Thames, which, again, the layout can still be seen. But Alfred is really the second founder of the City of London. Mm, yeah, it's looking good, isn't it? Mm. Wow. Which maybe isn't quite as popular in Manchester as it would be in London. Yeah, we should have done this in London, shouldn't we? Yeah. 
Um, you mentioned the fact that he sets up some of the chronicles and stuff for the evidence yeah. that we have. So the Anglo-Saxon chronicle is started in Alfred's reign. And, and this is a chronicle of all of the nation's affairs and in English. So it's writing down the history of what went before and then chronicling all the events subsequently after that right. and it's actually in english which is unusual for the time because most of the other course like the french the franks it would be in latin mm. but for alfred he wants things in english so that people can actually understand it right so that carries on after his reign and then it does it goes up to 1154 so it actually continues even after the norman conquest oh, wow but it but the, his asa was his personal biographer, biographer. yeah yeah so that we sh- athelstan really should have thought of that yeah <laughs> Was Asa still alive or d- and just didn't... No, no. Oh, okay, right. Oh, yeah, grandson. Got it, not son. Yep. Um, so, that's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also really education, education, education <laughs> for Alfred. Um, he wants all officials and clerics to become literate or they face losing their position, which would sound like a fairly basic job requirement yeah. now. But at the time, as we said, a lot of people weren't literate, so he demanded that they either were or they learn. So they couldn't even read the Bible? Well, yes, exactly. And also, if Alfred's sending orders off off the country, if people can't read, then it's pointless. you're not going to be able to control what's going on. Yeah, it's like the most elaborate game of Pictionary ever. What, what does he want me to do? <laughs> do it all in pictures. <laughs> that could lead to some really quite awkward scenarios. He has scholars translating ancient works into English, so mainly Latin. So these are things which are considered to be important for people to know. So either about uh, things about the Bible or philosophy, mm. useful philosophical texts mm. and as I said it's not just that he gets people to do it he actually does it himself so he has to learn Latin so that he can then translate it into English yeah but I mean that's quite this is after he's defeated the Vikings in battle he needs a hobby he's built yeah. all of these towns and yeah. he's now doing this yeah no that's great I just can't help but think that it's not a good use of his time like he should be getting other people to do it but it's still impressive the idea and uh, I suppose it's of interest that he did it but the fact that it's going on at all is great. Mm. Mm. Pretty good. And uh, he's, he's quite practical as well. So um, if you, I think, is it at the Ashmolean or is it in the British Museum, the Alfred Jewel? Which oh, is yeah. this really sort of beautiful object, which was apparently was a pointer. So it was to help um, all of the priests and the bishops when they're going through their sermons and they presumably couldn't read that well. Yeah, so follow the line. Lovely object and then you just follow the line along and that's how they know where they are. That's what the uh, detectorist jewel is based on, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And as I said, he's a philosopher king. It's not just that he translates word for word and that's it. He actually goes, does prefaces and he reinterprets it to sort of form his own opinions. Mm. So he's actually giving instruction and his own views on kingship, on justice, on life. Yeah, be very interesting to read. But, it, it, you know... It's just such a shame that Athelstan didn't have the foresight to do the same. And Alfred is doing this basically in the last 10 years of his life when he's gone through all of that trouble and strife mm. and he's doing this for the benefit of the country. Yeah, it is very good, isn't it? There's no getting around it. <laughs> so he actually says in one of his prefaces, it has always been my wish to live honourably and after my death to leave to those who come after me my memory in good works. I He's very, very aware of his legacy isn't he the fact mm. that he's got Asa uh, recording everything and everything is about the future which hasn't done well for Scandal but is scoring him really well on this and even if you can you know you can say that actually we said before we know he's good because he tells us that we're good mm. but in a way it's quite impressive the fact that he is thinking about legacy he is thinking yeah. about people in the future and looking back on it mm-hmm. he's not just short term he's not just rushing around 
stabby, 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 and then go Putting home up again. Fires, yeah. just drinking a lot. Yeah. It's actually building a future. Mm. Yeah, no, it is good. It is good. I, I take it back. <laughs> well, Athelstan isn't too bad either, though. He's got to rule a much larger territory than Alfred. And as such, that's a bigger job. So he takes a very national approach. He has his own secretariat with control over lawmaking and bureaucracy, regulates the coinage so that it's uniform across the country and restricts where you can actually have mints. Yeah, clever. To make the coins. He bans the buying and selling of major goods outside town. So again, that's promoting urban growth. And they taxes. Re- yeah, and yeah. taxes. Yeah, very good. But that's all actually down to Athelstan- uh, Alfred, isn't it? Being Initially, yeah. At all. He yeah. created the towns and mm. then Athelstan's taking them to another level yeah he uh, really focuses a lot on tackling thievery and law and order so he introduces prison as a penalty pretty much for the first time for the saxons um he changes the law so that no one under 15 could be executed he thought it was a bit cruel to hear of 12 year olds being killed for fairly minor offenses yeah yeah so i mean 15 is fine obviously but 12 (laughs) is 12 is just far too young and uh, the ordinance on charities required crown-owned manors to feed the poor and free one penal slave annually, and there was a fine if they didn't do it. Well, just for, like, to show leniency of this. Being good Christians. Oh, right. Okay. Except for the fact that, obviously, they've got other slaves that aren't being freed, but <laughs> yeah, still, you know, one's better than none. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, he's renowned as a religious benefactor and revered as a pious king across Europe. Right. Where Ali's uh, interest starts to wane slightly. <laughs> Sometimes when we do this, I say, "You, can't, I'm going to get a cup of tea and we'll go off and refill the mug." Um, he bestows numerous gifts, um, relics, and books to St Cuthbert up in Durham, and he cultivates the saints as well. So, as well as a religious aspect, it's also quite useful for promoting national identity. Yeah, so he takes uh, regional saints and really promotes them as being English saints. So, St Cuthbert up in uh, in Durham is one of the chief examples. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. So idea. it's helping to bind the country together mm. with the same uh, same figures. And he encourages churchmen across Britain and across Europe to come to his court. So he wants the very best of the best to be with him. Mm. And of course, he gives us one of the most important church figures that there will be in the Anglo-Saxon world, a lovely young chap from Glastonbury, Dunstan. What? Why? Dunstan comes to Athelstan's court. Athelstan is the first man to introduce us to the joy of Dunstan. Oh my god. I had no idea. This is now really difficult. But so he sees that that Dunstan is, is uh well, great and uh brings him in. Yeah. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. It's not looking at all good now. For anyone not familiar with Dunstan, he's this incredible bishop that basically rule. well, he doesn't rule, well, he effectively rules at certain points, but he's a chief figure in government and church for about seven different reigns because the Saxons are very short-lived. So it's Athelstan's the first one, and he's a key figure in setting up later on quite a lot of the things that happen in the country. So actually the coronation ceremony we still have today is actually based largely on Dunstan's original design for Edgar the Peaceable. But Ali got a bit sick of him in the podcast because he just kept on coming up. He was introduced uh, to certain kings and interrupted Menage Artois. It was just it was just getting good. The fun sponge you described him as. He is a fun sponge. He turns up and says no I'll take all that fun away. Thank you very much. Awful man. Well, and this is where it all starts. Right, great. <laughs> Should we leave uh, leave Dunstan? Yeah, if we may. Okay. Um, William Tyndale in the Tudor period claimed that Athelstan had commissioned an English translation of the Bible. 
Oh, that I. Th- Which is following on from what Alfred does, of course, translating everything yeah. into the vernacular. But James the first gets the credit for it years later. Uh, well, he does the definitive one. It had been done in the oh, okay. reign of Henry VIII as well. But that's quite impressive. It's an awfully long time ago. That yeah, yeah. Brilliant. That's being done. He's the first Saxon king that would have been literate as a child, and he used to give books as gifts to people, had lots of poems written and performed at his court. Some historians have speculated that Beowulf may even have been yeah. commissioned for wow. Athelstan. We still don't actually know when it was. So it might have been earlier. might have been later, but it certainly is part of that world that would have been familiar to yeah. Athelstan. Brilliant. And his court. And it is a magnificent court. We've got ambassadors, clerics, poets, everybody flocking to him. He was given lots of fun gifts. The uh, Holy Lance and the Sword of Constantine. Oh, right. Okay. There's a lot of those kicking around, isn't there? Everyone wants those in their yeah. collection. Uh, he used to hold these national assemblies, attendance by all the rulers across Britain, which as well as just being useful in terms of diplomacy, it must have been an amazing spectacle. Yeah. All of these kings, presumably all of their finery. Wow. Great banquets and pageantry. would be fantastic. And then uh, a navy as well on top of that. Yeah. So it is taking it on quite away from what Alfred would have experienced. Under Alfred, you have a sense of much more hard work and struggling through, whereas under Athelstan, you're getting a bit more of a sort of almost medieval pomp. Yeah. Yeah. It's a court now rather than sort of struggling from one battle to the next and getting through. Mm. Athelstan also takes kingship onto another level. He's the first English king to be consecrated with uh, holy oil and to wear a crown. Oh, Rex, fact. First one to wear a crown. And he's the first English king to be portrayed in art as well. It's not a great image. That's why I didn't use that to describe what he looks like. Uh, But he's shown presenting a Bible to St. Cuthbert. So, uh, not they weren't around at the same time, right? No, they weren't. But obviously St. Cuthbert exists in a holy realm and okay. Athelstan was there. In reality, Athelstan went to the grave and deposited the books just in the grave. Right. Um, good. But still, that's interesting. Yeah, it's I, a lot of firsts Can here. we go back to the crown? Yes. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Why Was this something that was adopted from Europe because he had all this influence? Yeah, I guess the influence of Charlemagne and all oh, those sorts of people. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he dies, the annals of Ulster described him as a pillar of dignity in the Western world. Mm. And William of Malmesbury, writing 150 years later, said, The firm opinion is still current among the English that no one more just or learned administered the state. His years, though few, were full of glory. Mm. Brilliant. Mm. What was the rather backhanded compliment that he got at the start? Was it Athelstan that got that? Was oh, that? Alfred about yeah. ruling over all of the English except for except that. For, <laughs> yeah. yeah, whereas this guy, wow. Mm. Now, we don't have a biography for Athelstan, but it's possible that William of Malmesbury had access to one and it might have subsequently been lost. Because he's referencing something? Yeah. Okay. But William of Malmesbury was a bit biased because he's of Malmesbury, that's where Athelstan is based. So although mm. we don't have an Asa, we do have a... A Malmesbury. A Malmesbury, <laughs> who's a bit biased. And as you mentioned earlier, the Cornish and various other people in England and Yorks might not have actually enjoyed being conquered. Yeah. So whether we count that as a negative because they didn't want to be conquered or positive because we think, well, it's all England. and Yeah, we're looking at it just like it was all inevitably building to this. Mm. Mm. But both of them have done a lot of good work there. There's some good, just rule. We should have said subjectivity means would you want to be a subject to that king? Busy, busy bees. Hmm. Uh, Alfred scored best here, 17 out of 20 for Alfred versus 12 and a half for Athelstan. Oh, wow. 
Well, I mean, Alfred, you've got him translating things into English. He's setting up towns, refounds the city of London. But if it is the actual period of his reign, mm. there's a lot of time during Alfred where, where it's, a, it's not nice. It's very grim, yeah. difficult time. And then all the time in Athelstan's reign, maybe thanks to Alfred, mm. brilliant. But a lot of that is set up by Alfred. You've got all of these people that can read and write for the first time. Well, not first time, but after mm. they lost the ability to do so. You've got all these lovely towns that Alfred's designed. You can understand things because Alfred's translated them for you. Oh, that's tricky. Like, And it's a real sense, which you don't always get with the kings and queens of England or indeed of Scotland, a real sense that he has a genuine sort of sense of purpose to do good for the people. Yeah, and he's looking to the future a lot. Yeah. I think you gave, and this was before you decided you didn't like him anymore, <laughs> but you said it was a bit like uh, an old man planting a tree that he will never see grow. And that's yeah. a good thing for a country when you've got that sort of thing happening. I agree with myself. Mm. <laughs> But I think I'd prefer to be, um, and I still think I'd prefer to be a subject under Athelstan because of all the pomp and everything and and the security, I'd feel. Uh, it was all a bit too recent with Alfred and they're still just over the border there. Mm. I, I can't believe that the, we scored them so differently, but again, that was at the start of the show and everything. Oh. It was like when we did um, Robert the Bruce earlier on, and actually it was, at the time, an awful period to be a subject, yeah, because there's all this war going on, but equally you've got such a huge legacy in re-establishing the country's independence, the Declaration mm. of Our Broth that was a real powerful piece of rhetoric. So sometimes the subjectivity might not be great right there in the short term, yeah, but the legacy in history is pretty amazing. I, I can't put anything between them here. It's a score draw for me. Mm. Not what we said at the time, though. No. That is often the case, though. George IV? Was it George IV that we recorded the next day because your laptop broke down and we ended up giving him a different score? Or rather, I did. George V was the one where we recorded it and then we had to do it all again and you actually gave him the Rex Factor on day two, but not on day one. Mm. I was was in a better mood. (laughs) Lucky George. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Longevity. So this is how long they ruled for. So no debate here is a factual one. Yep. Alfred was king from 871 to 899, so 28 and a half years. Yeah. Athelstan, 924 to 939, just 15 years. Uh, well, I know this isn't, uh, this isn't subjective at all, but how much was achieved in much shorter time? Pretty good. Or alternatively, Alfred has got perhaps much more peril than Athelstan. You think Alfred's at a time of the Vikings. The kings that used to uh, resist the Vikings could be blood-eagled or filled full of arrows. It's an incredibly dangerous and difficult time. Mm. And Alfred manages nearly 30 years. Yeah, maybe he had more to do in a longer period. Okay, it could be a draw again then. He did an awful lot. In well, I mean, it's not because Alfred was king. <laughs> 28 and a half years, and Athelstan was king for 15 years, so it's... Sounds, uh, sounds pretty equal. Hmm. <laughs> Dynasty! Not the programme. Well, let's see if this one is similarly equal. Alfred has five legitimate surviving children. But he made a meal of it, didn't he? He still did it. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Athelstan, Mr. Chaste Athelstan, hmm. zero Ooh. surviving children. 
That's no good. Mm. That's, that's the worst, in fact. Indeed. So we can say that Alfred the Great is the 34th great-grandfather of Queen Elizabeth II. Rex fact. There's a direct line from Alfred down to the Queen. Wow. Okay. Not for Athelstan, though. No. It takes a bit of a detour. Yeah. Because yeah. he doesn't have any surviving legitimate children. But he does... Uh, oh, it doesn't matter. Zero. It's dynasty, isn't it? Yeah. Five for Alfred, zero for Athelstan. Okay. Are you going to call that one... He's pretty even again, I'll tell you. Yeah. Five in it. So in terms of total scores, Alfred got 55.35 mm-hmm. and Athelstan got 47. And we did, of course, also agree, you agreed, that Alfred was undermarked for battliness. Oh. So if we could stick a few more uh, points onto Alfred's reign, then, you know, he's looking pretty good there. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's funny that that's, that's far more... I thought they'd be much more even again. Uh, well, the longevity in Dynasty hurts Athelstan, obviously. Yeah, yeah, he died too soon. I've said this many times, just don't <laughs> die. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, he, he would have, if he'd have lived as long as Alfred, how many more points would that have given him? Would he have been more equal then? It's been a few more years. He's still a bit behind. Mm. If he lived for another five years and just gone back on his uh, agreement, married, and then just really had a lot, a lot of children, yeah, then that would have boosted his score substantially yeah like what was that about i mean you've told us uh but but still he wasn't thinking about it how are you looking at them at the moment are you inspired perhaps now by alfred and all the achievements that all he does for the country saving it from the vikings creating a sense of england re-educating the population (laughs) or do you just want the uh the emperor of britain do you want the edward the firsty style thing of just going and kicking the scots and the welsh yeah (laughs) <laughs> I do, I do, I I can't shake it. I really, uh, I like Alfred a lot more than I did an hour ago. Mm. But, and I actually thought, maybe I was getting confused between the two. I actually thought that... That is definitely possible. <laughs> that Athelstan was uh, a lot more, had a lot more sexy scandal than Alfred's. Mm. Um, but, you know, there's all that, the idea of an empire... Of Great Britain, wow. I I just think that that Battle of Brunanburh, the the coming together of all of those kings, is if we if we had an Asser equivalent, would be seen as much greater than than setting up that potential. He okay, yeah, it was, it was starting from rock bottom and getting a long way, but Athelstan Mix the cake, baked it, and put the cherry on top. While they're getting the ingredients together. And just burning them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I tried to put it in terms I thought you might prefer a little bit more. If we think about it as a parallel for the Second World War. I love it already. 1940, we've got Wessex all alone. The Vikings oh, swarming everywhere. Yeah. Athelney, we've got this uh, retreat they're almost completely defeated. He manages to escape, but he's going to have to regroup. Yeah. Dunkirk. Yeah. And then we have all of the troops, one all or nothing effort, the big attack that if it all goes wrong, that could be your last chance. He has his D-Day at mm-hmm. Eddington. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't just stop there. He goes on, rebuilds the country, all of the education, the towns, the, you know, basically the NHS equivalent <laughs> late 1945 he wins the war he also wins the peace yeah 
But he also goes toe-to-toe with the Soviets in uh, Germany and creates a Watling Street, doesn't he? And we know how that turned out. Not good for poor old Eastern Europeans. Yeah, we're going to start getting quite complex metaphors now. Yeah. Now, not to mix a metaphor further, uh, I think that everyone will agree that uh, Athelstan wins. I think your team, Alfred. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's not up to us. It isn't up to us. It is up to you, the audience. You've got Sorry. to decide who you think truly deserves to be known as the great. Is it Alfred the Great? <laughs> <laughs> Only great in English history. Must be a reason for that. Or do you think that Athelstan deserves to oh, get hang more on. credit? I called him Alfred the Mediocre, didn't I? You did. <laughs> Why didn't I bring that up? Because Damn. clearly the thought of describing him in such a way would have been ridiculous to you. Well, I think that he was called the Great because, uh, this is desperate, isn't it? Because uh, he had his mate Asa writing it all up and he wrote the title on the front page. <laughs> Athelstan surely should have been called the Great as well. But it's not, anyway. It's all up to you. So you should have uh, cards on one side is red, on one side is green, if you can see it with the lights uh, turned down low. We'll record this, so if we have to count them. Yeah. What we'd like you to do is, if you want Alfred to win point the red side towards us so Alfred very good love it and uh, if you want Athelstan to win then point the green towards us I can't think of a way to make Athelstan sound like green (laughs) so it's red towards us for Alfred green towards us for Athelstan three two one oh dear Hang on, hang on. Could could we possibly have the light back on? Because I we can't, <laughs> I can't, can't see, thing. see the colours. I can. It looks quite close. It We've had quite a few. Oh no, the other uh, the other one. That's uh Oh god! Oh, it was it was on the side. Uh, okay, well, uh, okay. Well, I, I think... can see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I I think that, that Alfred's also... just. Nudge that one. You did the count. Uh, <laughs> one, two, three, four. I can't actually see the back ones. They're just black. Uh, oh, good idea. Or if you want, if you're holding up a red, if you're holding up a green, can you put it down for the moment so we can just see the reds? Okay, so. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Have I done the one, two, three? It's very important. We. Yeah, 17. Okay, red's down. Green up. Oh, you clever chap, yeah. One, two. Let's see what you're doing now. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Oh! Oh, damn. Hang on. Oh, yeah. No, I thought we could vote, but then we'd split the vote. Yeah, yeah. Damn. In which case, Alfred the Great has won by one vote. What have you done? Well done. Although I think it would be fair to say that Alfred the Great, but I think Athelstan probably deserves yeah. something as well. Certainly. The, the Great as well. They can yeah. share that. Um, well, that's not the end, though, because now we've got half an hour or so, or however long you want to ask us questions. So, go on. I thought you were about Do you to want talk. me to ask a question? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How are you feeling about that, Ali? A bit disappointed? Ah, oh, disappointed. Well, anyway, that's Ali's question. <laughs> yeah, so if you've got any questions you want to ask, it can be about Alfred and Athelstan, it can be about um, either our first two series, our next series, the animated show, 
other history, what we've had for breakfast today, anything at all, very happy to answer. Actually, the animator show, we've got one of the animators in tonight, haven't we? Do we? Oh. Yes, we do. <laughs> Mike from Tin Mouse, who actually you heard do our intro for us. Yeah. Thanks, yeah, so Mike. if anybody uh, has seen our uh, animated show on Rich the Third, uh, that was the work of Tim Mouse Animation. Mike is here today. I think you did an absolutely brilliant job designing all of the characters and uh, all of the artwork and stuff that we did uh, during the campaign. The Jurassic Park Car Park Ting King yeah. T-shirt, brilliant. So great to have Mike here today. But yes, any <laughs> any questions? Anybody? Yes, I can see a hand in the darkness. What are the Totalis Rankium guys like? What are the Totalis Rankium guys like? <laughs> <laughs> ah, ask us a question about a rival podcast. <laughs> uh, so, t- Totalis Rankium are, um, we met them at Oxford. Well, you've met Rob uh, a yeah, few yeah. times before, haven't you? Birmingham, yeah. Um, no, they're, they're very, very nice. They, uh, they review the Roman emperors and also started doing the American presidents uh, in a format quite similar to to Rex Lanter. and uh, Rob actually does all of our branding as well so the all the, if you see the monarchs with the headphones mm. and our episode images and Rob does all of those for us um, which is really really helpful yeah they were really nice lovely time at Oxford yeah. didn't we lovely nice drinks yeah first time we met Jamie at Oxford though mm. yeah he's great yeah they're, they're great listen to Totalius Rankium they're really <laughs> yeah. good yeah any other questions oh wow three okay. uh, 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 the right of France <laughs> Yes. Yes. Yeah. So our next series, we're going to be doing the uh, Queen and Prince Consorts of England. So those are basically the people who are married to the monarchs. And uh, yeah, there are a lot because we've been thinking about it quite a bit now. It's coming soon. And yeah, what? what who are you particularly looking forward uh, to? I mean, obviously Eleanor of Aquitaine. Yeah. That's bit like saying Robert the Bruce with the uh, Scottish series though isn't it but Margaret Bonjou I think because mm. I've just been listening to a great audio book which you know I I can't believe that you know when she's actually the power behind the throne that she doesn't get more credit and we still talk about the the king who's just effectively asleep in bed the whole time it's going to I think she's going to be incredible you saw her jousting didn't you that was peculiar and why yeah, I did say jousting yes. <laughs> I mean that says a lot about her that she could actually take the, when re, this was reenacting the Wars of the Roses through jousting mm. and uh, they had her as the main character she'd be yeah. great yeah I what think she, well she's an, she is definitely an interesting one because um, she's one of those examples where actually the king Henry VI was really really rubbish but sometimes in those cases then the queen has to step up and do a lot of the work. So Margaret of Anjou is one case. Isabella of France, who was yeah. the Queen Consort for Edward II, is another one. Um, I'm quite partial to the Tudors, so the Six Wives of Henry VIII, uh, I think it's going to be one that I'm looking forward to, albeit quite a lot of books to read about well, them. You love it, Graham. Uh, Philip? Yeah, so we will end up with <laughs> Prince Philip, of course. That'll be... Uh... <laughs> 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 I think we'll just have to do the scandal section in just one separate episode. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Do the rest of it. Yeah. It's going to be great. Looking forward to it, though. Is there one in particular you're looking forward to? Uh, that's not a question. Taken with um, Queen Anne's fat, lazy Danish husband when he was Queen Anne's Prince George. Yeah. Yeah, because Charles II so- said of him, I've tried him drunk, I've tried him sober, and there's nothing in him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Charles, I miss you. Yeah. <laughs> 
So there are a couple of other hands up there. Where oh. uh, it's one at the back went up just quick, more quickly than the one at the front. So person at the back, yeah, hi there. Um, I don't think we'll do any episode if I remember rightly. What do you think? Are we going to talk about? Do we think Elizabeth II? Yeah. So when we did Elizabeth II, we decided that because she was still current, we couldn't. Um, it wouldn't be fair to decide because sometimes you learn things, you know, thirty years later or something that might swing you one way more than the other way uh what what do you reckon oh, if you had to call dodged. it right today uh um i you informed me recently that we did score her I yeah, we, we, we gave her scores score. but we just didn't give her we didn't decide uh, one make the her other. eligible for the rax factor what was her score can you remember i can't remember. it was a decent score yeah i i think it'd be really hard not to because uh looking at how she dealt with the end of empire uh, and keeping it all together in a, t- a period of such change um, is impressive. And to still have a lot of, a lot of support. I, it's difficult because I think she does because she's the only monarch everyone here has known. Well, nearly, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, uh, sorry, dad. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she is the queen. The queen, yeah. She definitely really has a... Tricky. I'm trying not to be biased, which is not something I'm used to doing in retrospect. <laughs> yeah, I'd say, yeah. yeah. It's interesting because there are certain periods in her reign where maybe you would have said no to that question. Like, it was certainly 80s and certainly a spell in the 90s where she maybe was seen as being a bit boring, a bit out of touch. And then obviously there was the point when Diana died and there was a brief spell where it really, really looked a bit dodgy mm. for the monarchy mm. but we're now in a position where you know even republic have basically had to say that until the queen dies we're just not even going to really try too much because everyone just accepts that she's done a good job yeah even if you don't think there should be a monarchy people seem to accept that the queen has done the job very very well so that suggests that potentially she will but it is hard to know what we will, what people in the future will think looking back and whether they'll think that as well or whether they'll, I guess, be like Ali with Queen Victoria and just get a bit tired of yeah. hearing the same name yeah, all the yeah, time. Yeah, true. I mean, and also she benefited from the fact that she became queen quite so young, unlike Charles, who's had his whole life to mm. make lots of mistakes in the public eye and not, you know, think, oh, I've got to be king. I must act, you know, in the way that Elizabeth has been so composed in public. Um so yeah, maybe we'll think that she actually set up the the monarchy to fail by not giving it over to Charles Cooker. It's those sort of questions that we just don't know. But right now, yes. Mm. Have you given your opinion? I feel like I've given one, but I'm not sure if you have. I'm sure that was pretty definitive for my kind. <laughs> maybe, like this. maybe. I think there's stuff that we might learn, like about when we had the Commonwealth and South Africa. There's you know maybe behind the scenes she was trying to influence things more in a way that we don't yet know about um things recently actually like with ireland and when she went over and did that first visit and but i thought that was amazing oh no it went really well that's what i'm saying there might be actually we'll find some things because she keeps so much hidden and doesn't give her opinions away that it's not until she dies and letters are released that we'll really learn what she was yeah i might we might learn that she was even better yeah exactly so possibly possibly yes Yeah, so will we struggle to find information about the consorts? Uh, Certainly for the Saxons, 
it's going to be very difficult because unfortunately the uh, the Wessex Saxon seems to have a bit of a beef about queens so even though Alfred has got his own biographer he's got uh, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle set up we know a lot about Alfred's reign and yet we don't actually know very much about his wife and that's because she wasn't considered to be a queen they don't write about her extensively so I think for the Saxons what I'm going to try to do is to take whatever we do know I'll put out there but otherwise we might look at aspects of their reign so for uh, Elswith who's Alfred's wife we'll look at why it is that the Wessex uh, chroniclers don't write about queens some of them go on to be saints which is quite an interesting career path for <laughs> queens to take well they had nothing to do with Athelstan did they I mean yeah. <laughs> <what else? laughs> so, uh, so where there's not much information we'll try to tell maybe a bit more of a general story about royal women in the period but I think once you certainly once you get to the Normans I think it's quite well recorded and they do have quite prominent roles uh, at court and in the nation's affairs I think we'll get to a point where it's there's definitely enough information for the Saxons we might have to be a bit more inventive hashtag rememberith hashtag rememberith <laughs> yes yep. last kingdom or vikings last oh, kingdom or vikings, vikings. ooh Vikings. Yeah. Vikings is what Vikings has done. Uh, so these are two TV programs for anyone that's not, uh, not watched them. Uh, what Vikings have done really well is that it's managed to pretty much get rid of all of the main characters and then carry on going and it still be interesting, which I think is quite impressive. Mm. Uh, th- the thing which annoys me about Vikings is that initially I was like, this is really good because a lot of what we know is in sagas so it's all exaggerated anyway so you don't know whether things did or didn't happen but then once they started doing the saxon stuff and then we've got alfred the great is actually the illegitimate son of a saxon monk called athelstan and his father and grandfather are seemingly fine about this because <laughs> this quite dull monk was so amazing that I thought you were describing Alfred there. He just comes across as a very dull monk. (laughs) I I didn't like it because I couldn't empathise with any of the characters. I found... Is this Last Kingdom you talk about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I found... uh, Because Alfred is now in Vikings. Oh, I haven't caught up that far. Because the other thing with Vikings is... Yeah. Oh. The other thing with Vikings is that it's, um, (laughs) it takes place over seemingly quite a long period of time because they start off at Lindisfarne in 793 and we're now at Alfred who's sort of around in the 850s or 60s. Yeah. So they've got some quite long-lived Vikings. And uh, in Last Kingdom, I can't even get behind the protagonist. He's just really annoying. Um, but I still watch them, though, because it's just really fun. I'm not but, quite sure why you find both of them annoying, because you've got Alfred being really pious, and then you've got Uhtred being really, oh, let's just go and fight a battle. Because he can't do anything without saying Uhtred Uhtredson. <laughs> Every time. He's going to... I'm putting on Uhtred Uhtredson's coat and then I'm going to go and be Uhtred Uhtredson. Oh, we get it. Just wear a badge. <laughs> Rubbish. Mm. But I like both. Vikings has got a better theme tune, I think. I can't remember how it goes. <laughs> I'm not going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Any what, other questions? What would your answer be? Vikings or... Vikings by my oh, yeah, yeah, quite right. Yes. You watch Northman? Have we watched Norseman? This is the comedy. Yes. Oh, I really want to. Uh, it's really good. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's like Vikings meets Monty Python. And yeah, it's really good. It's really dry and deadpan. Yeah. And 
Yeah, I really like it. It's a couple of series on Netflix. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I really like Norseman. I, yeah, it's on, on my watch list. A quick question. Have, you've been playing a couple of pranks on me in uh, this series. <laughs> Is this microphone one of them? Because I seem to be getting lower and lower. To to you. I really apologise if it's distracting, but it's really distracting here too. So I'll just sit like this. Um, yes, it's on the watch list. Mm. Yes, I'm in the middle. Not Edward the First, Ali. Well, that's three references, though. To that's pretty. Thank you. <laughs> so, our personal personal favourites of monarchs or characters from the first couple of series of Rex Factor. I mean, I'm guessing if you can't say Edward the First, you're going to say Dunstan. No, I will say. Uh, well, least favourite, definitely Dunstan, by <laughs> such a wide margin. I can't even think of anyone else. Uh, chart for me, Charles II, and and uh, uh, our friend Pineapple Head, though. Uh, also, honourable mention to the penguin. So that's William the Fourth, pineapple head. <laughs> William the Third, the penguin. <laughs> uh, in terms of non-royals, I think William the Marshal um, is probably my favourite one. So he was this amazing knight that served under Henry the Second, Henry the Second's younger son, who was known as the Young King, Richard the Lionheart, John, and then he saves the country from uh, a French invasion under the young Henry the Third. Reinstates Magna Carta. It's actually under. William really that Magna Carta properly takes off mm. rather than under John because John reneges on it as soon as he'd agreed to it and William the Marshal at sort of 70 years old charging into battle at Lincoln saving the country he was pretty cool mm-hmm. loved yeah. a bit of William the Marshal and Manny Manny definitely love Manny night that his own battle cry was to shout his own name that's <laughs> what more can you want any other questions no Okay. Well, but as we said at the start, we're uh, selling T-shirts at the back, but uh, please just come and have a chat. We're going to hang around and have a drink. So if you want to come and say hello, uh, we'd, we'd love to meet as many of you as possible. So please don't disappear off unless you have a train to catch, we understand. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, thanks very much for coming and uh, for donating to the Kickstarter if you did and just for listening because uh, it's so great to get the feedback that we actually aren't just too little fellas from Essex chatting into a microphone but there are people out there who listen so thank you very much and thank you so much for coming it's been really really great thank you very much cheers This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like UGG, Samsung, and Expedia. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use. And you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. That's Rakuten. 
With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 